don't doubt about it, you should be the change. Ain't no way around it if you're tired of the same. You wanna make a difference, you should be the change. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh. Hi, everybody. Fran Harris. University of Texas 8791 and also 2018. Very honored to be leading this conversation tonight about politics and po probably politics and a whole lot of other things. So our esteemed guests tonight are going to introduce themselves because there's so much richness and tradition and heritage in the people that we've assembled tonight. I felt it best that they tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're gonna be bringing to this conversation. So let us start with Eddie Reeves. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Fran. My name is Eddie Reeves. I was at the University of Texas from 1980 to 1985, got involved in campus politics uh, as a hell-raising student radical on campus. That kind of naturally, we started the Black Student Alliance and the Steve Biko Committee, which was an anti-apartheid group. Uh, I was the president of both those organizations. That naturally led me down to the State House. Since then, I've done a lot of political work all over the country, uh, and for the last several years have been a public, a, a, uh, marketing and corporate, com corporate communications consultant and strategist for a number of uh, Fortune 1000 companies and large nonprofits. Uh, I, I hail from Dallas, Texas, but I'm from the sprawling metropolis of Kilgore, Texas. Grant uh, County. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm from the Russ County side, brother. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and I'm very happy to be here. And, and, and I was telling Fran Harris, I didn't even like, I didn't even go to basketball games. I went to the Lady Longhorn games to watch Fran Harris. Jeffrey Trevelyan. Good evening. Uh, good to be with you. Um, I am County Commissioner in Travis County of Precinct 1. Uh, I moved here in 1985 to go to the LBJ School of Public Affairs, but my first love was the Big Blue Bengal Tigers of Jackson State. Uh, where, I, where I finished uh, with a political science degree. I came here to work in politics. I was a Sloan Fellow, got a chance to work for about 15 years in state government, about 15 years at the city of Austin, and then ran for office and was just elected to my second term last night and uh, have been working on issues that deal with quality of life equity and access for communities that have been historically locked out of opportunity. And Commissioner, tell them what you squeaked by with. Uh, I, I, it was 75.92%, uh, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, nail biter. Uh, yeah. Next up, Chloe White. Hi, my name is Chloe White. Um, I am a graduate of Spelman College, but I am currently a student at the University of Texas. I am in the education policy and planning program in the College of Ed, and I'm set to graduate next May. So I will soon be joining you all as an alum. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I currently specialize in looking at how trauma-informed care can be utilized and translated into pedagogy in a secondary classrooms, um, but I'm more broader uh, more broadly interested in understanding transformative justice, sexual education policies, and um, restorative justice practices. So that is my viewpoint. And yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, Chloe. Lou Fambles. 
Good afternoon. I am Lou Fambles. I'm from Longview, Texas, uh, the home of Forrest Whitaker and Matthew McConaughey, um, and Lou Fambles, of course. But uh, I live in San Antonio, but I'm currently on a project at the University of Washington Medical School and um, still active in politics and helping people get elected who can espouse the needs of African-Americans in this country. In San Antonio last night, we were able to get Ms. Catherine Brown voted to uh, the first black woman in Bear County history to be a constable. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, most of the people on this line I have seen, I know, uh, you know, from Jeff to Eddie and Chloe, I don't know you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you. I had to put this Prairie View A&M cap on because I got my master's degree at the university, I mean, at Prairie View A&M University. I wanted Jeffrey Trevelyan to know that I am SWAC also. All right. I was at the right. University of Texas from 1976 to 1981. And then again, from 1983 to 1988, uh, did not finish my PhD, but I will get that. I'm enrolling at the University of Texas, San Antonio to work on a doctorate in applied demography uh, because I want to look at the diaspora of black businesses. And when black businesses leave a community, uh, we know that a lot of other things leave that community also. So when we look at disparities in health, care, we look at disparities in uh, employment, it generally follows a flow of black businesses away from that community. Uh, so I'm glad to be here with these distinct, distinguished uh, panel members, Dr. Don Pinker there, who just did a, a, a great documentary on the Yates uh, Championship. And I mean, everybody on this, on this screen, I am just so glad to be on with you. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Lou. And then finally, John Love. Uh, <clears throat> good evening. I'm John Love. I attended University of Texas from 86 to 90, but I graduated from the University of Texas Permian Basin uh, in the Permian Basin in Odessa, Texas. Um, I'm a seven-time city councilman for the city of Midland, Texas. Um, the past president of the Texas Municipal League. Um, I'm a third generation uh, entrepreneur and uh, that is the uh, constant theme um, that I try to speak about when I have opportunities like this is uh, entrepreneurship in the black community and how we need much more of it. All right, great. Thank you everybody. And uh, for those of you I, who I don't know, I'm Fran Harris. Uh, played on the national championship team at the University of Texas in 1986, 34-0. If you ever see me driving around Austin or Dallas, the license plates bears 34-0. and 0. Uh, I'm very proud of that. That record still stands. Uh, we were the first NCAA women's basketball undefeated champion uh, in history. So very excited about that. Have two journalism degrees. And uh, then a couple of years ago, attended the Macomb School of Business and got a, a master's in um, technology commercialization, but I'm very energized by what our conversation is going to be tonight because I'm often asked, and a lot of you are in this space, I'm often asked to run for office, and I'm sure that I'm going to hear something tonight that's going to verify why I continue to say no. So let's jump in. Let's jump in and talk about yesterday. 
uh, and we'll go around the table and, and start with the biggest question I had as I was anticipating tonight was any surprises? What surprises happened you know, or so far for you in any realm of, of what happened yesterday? And we'll start with those, we'll start with John. We'll go backwards. Uh, surprises, I was surprised at how um, close it was. Um, I thought jo uh, uh, Joe Biden had um, carved a deeper trench in some of the places that he was uh, campaigning in. Um, but I am glad to see that it does look like the outcome is going to uh, turn in favor of Joe Biden. Um, so that's the only surprise that I, I really had last night. Okay. Lou, what about you? I didn't see any surprises. It, it went about the way I thought it would. What I did see, though, that I, I was impressed about was the down ballot uh, support that a lot of the uh, Democrats got. A lot of the uh, African Americans got actually that kind of threw me. I was disappointed in South Carolina and Kentucky that the senatorial races went the way they did. Um, but I think that the uh, Republican side, and I was really hoping that the margin of victory, and I'm still hoping that the margin of victory in these swing states is such that it will withstand any of the shenanigans of uh, these recounts that are, that are about yeah. to happen. So I really didn't see anything that surprised me. I've been around for 62 years, so it's hard to surprise me now. <laughs> All right, Chloe, what about you? Um, I, didn't, I also didn't see any surprises. I actually expected a lot of this. Um, more so, I was interested in the proposition, specifically in California. That's where I'm from and that's where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, seeing how many of those played out was a little dissatisfying, but yeah. ultimately, I <laughs> Okay, Jeffrey? Well, um, I was a little surprised. I was a little disappointed. Uh, with our statewide output. I think in local areas, uh, we performed as we, uh, as we should have performed uh, because we manage our own bases. We manage the amount of money that we spend, who we spend it with, what media outlets we use. I was disappointed uh, that uh, we should have flipped the house. We had an opportunity to do so. Uh, this time the state took in more money than it puts out usually. Texas always sends money to other states. This year they were organizing here and they missed a huge opportunity. And the state Democratic Party did not deliver in what we needed it to. We did not use the Coalition of Black Democrats. Carol Robinson is an excellent lawyer who understands this state and has worked for Rodney Ellis. And uh, we, we, uh, we did not take the opportunity that came with Senator West presenting himself as a senatorial candidate. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to organize historically black colleges, organize right. our coalition um, yeah. members, organize the NAACP. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things were offered. None of those things were acted upon. And yeah. I think the results are unfortunate. All right. And John, uh, uh, Eddie, I should say. Yeah, I guess I only had a couple of surprises. I was surprised. I thought Joni Ernst would lose uh, yeah. the U.S. Senate race yeah. uh, in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was a little surprised at that one. Uh, here in Dallas, 
I thought there, there were a couple of state representatives who, uh, Republican state representatives who I thought would lose, Angie Chin Button uh, and Morgan Meyer. I thought Morgan, I, I, I know them both. I thought Morgan probably might hold on, but I certainly thought Angie Chin Button uh, would, would lose. But I guess my biggest surprise is how surprised so many people in the media and other pundits are at your amazing, the amazing fact that racism still runs so deep in the American body politic. <laughs> so I guess that was one of my, I was surprised at how surprised people were about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I was having a conversation today about was um, Joe Biden in general. And I'd love for you guys to, to jump in. There was a specific time in this race when people started to realize that Joe Biden had a chance. Mm -hmm. And it was very obvious. All of a sudden, people were like, well, well, hold up. Like, this dude could actually, he could actually win this thing. First of all, I'll ask you, what do you think was the, the impetus for Joe starting to gain some ground? What specifically do you think happened in the race where he suddenly, and maybe for some of you, maybe not suddenly, all of a sudden, he was, he was not so much a dark, a dark horse in the race? Well, you know, for, for me... In? For me, that was pretty clear. It was the moment uh, that Jim Clyburn um, called up, uh, uh, told us about the compassion of the person, made us understand the types of things that he had done, told us that if his wife were alive, she'd be sitting with him, uh, mm -hmm. trying to make sure that he was the one selected, uh, talked about his empathy, what it means to lose a wife and a child, uh, talks about uh, the relationships that he has with his old friends back from the old neighborhood, his significant relationship with the NAACP, for example. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there are people that would be concerned about uh, the crime bill that that uh, that he led, but if you remember, uh, that that was something that was that was supported across the board, and and uh, so you can't blame one person for that. Uh, you identify what was wrong and you take the steps that are necessary to correct it. And I think you need a person who actually understands people, cares about people, and wants to see people build families. And I think he was able to convey that in a way that others could not. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I mean, South Carolina was the turning point. Uh, and and it, wasn't just, it wasn't just that Jim Clyburn saved South Carolina uh, for, for, for Biden. What, what Clyburn did, and it didn't get a whole lot of press, but couple of weeks before he endorsed Biden, he, he basically took Biden to the woodshed and said, listen, yeah. here's how you need to campaign if you want if you want to win a Democratic, if you want to win the Democratic nomination. And Biden listened. Yeah. And Biden listened. And the truth of the matter is, uh, there are way too many examples throughout history where uh, the powers that be in the Democratic Party, they love Black folks' votes, but they don't listen to yes. Black folks. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you look at Delaware and we say, well, it's north of the Mason-Dixon line, but Delaware really had a Southern state mentality. After Brown v. Uh, uh, Kansas, uh, Topeka, there was also a suit filed in Delaware where they were trying to keep the schools segregated. So Delaware has always had a kind of a um, Southern mentality, even though they were Northern state. So when you look at uh, Joe Biden, He's almost, he, he kind of mirrors a, an LBJ for me. You know, LBJ came from Texas and you know, he didn't care a lot about us, but he ended up doing some things uh, that kind of uh, caused all those other Dixiecrats to go to the Republican party. Mm -hmm. But he, he made sure he was able to uh, 
massage that Senate to get his stuff through. And so I think because uh, Biden knows the Senate, he may be able to massage that Senate to get some things pushed through that we're going to definitely need over the next four to eight years. And uh, we can't do it by ourselves. So we're going to have to have somebody up there who even thinks about looking to us to help to get things done. Great point. Anybody else want to jump in on that? Uh, <clears throat> I agree that South Carolina was the turning point um, with respect to uh, Black community. However, um, I think that after, um, well, after the primaries were, were, were done, uh, I, I think it really showed some power that white folks started to continue to support and build support for Joe um, because we're 13% of the population and we did vote strong. Uh, but the reality is, is, is that we had, uh, Joe had to convince uh, some of the white population that he was um, a safe choice, if that makes sense. Because they were really terrified of Bernie. They were extremely terrified of Bernie. And, and Joe had to overcome that fear of uh, the stigmas that uh, the Republican Party has been putting out with respect to the Democratic mm -hmm. Party and, and calling uh, uh, Democrats socialists. Right. Uh, great, great segue. Uh, exactly. Great segue into the Obamanization of this race. And how much do you think people who were not necessarily pro-Trump, but not necessarily Joe Biden, but definitely anti-Obama, what do you think that impact was on where those people fell in terms of their vote for this race? Wow. Uh, Anti-Obama people. I, mm -hmm. I, I think that you just, they're just rebranded as Trump supporters. Um, I, I, I don't see, maybe some independents might have been um, uh, anti-Obama, but even then, uh, Obama had a, a high, high rate of, of voter support from independents. Um, so that's, that's a, a con conflicting question uh, for me. Um, not really sure. Well, it's, okay. it's a it's an interesting question uh, because you know you have people um, and 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 a lot of Anglo people who call themselves Trumpers, who will um, who will hate Obama, but love the Affordable Care Act, and right. I think the interesting thing was he provided tools that made it possible for them to have a better quality of life, but it's very difficult for them to have it come from somebody who they don't see as their president. So right. the, the interesting thing was, okay, he put together, you know, he saved the auto industry. He put the Affordable Care Act together. He, and, but the most important thing that I think that he did was he showed empathy to a very violent and difficult period of time. And, and I think if, if Biden mimics anything, it is the empathy that you know, when you when you have shootings on campuses, when you have shootings, whether they're elementary campuses or colleges, uh, when when someone is is struggling through COVID, and he and he can speak to his loss and how he had to work through that, and he can say, "I'm going to give you the tools that you need," because I believe more about what Obama believes than I believe in what Trump does. I think that compassion is easily acceptable from that larger community coming from a Biden than it was coming from an Obama. 
Chloe, Chloe, I'd be interested in see. I'd be interested in what you think. Um, honestly, I I personally don't know too many anti Obamas. I I can't speak from that side of being um either an independent or being or leaning more towards conservative, but I can speak from the side of folks who might be critical of Obama but lean towards this side of either left or liberal. Um, and that would be that a lot of people have been critical of both Obama and Biden. And because of that, um, I think Biden has had some very serious issues with trying to attract those, that community versus the community on the other side um, for the conservatives. Uh, or people who lean more towards independent, lean more towards conservative, um, or even lean more towards centrist and moderate. Um, so I would say that there's been a little bit of um, neglect um, to the population on the left. Um, but because of that, um, in the way that Joe Biden has spoken, I think that he, it's been very obvious that he is trying to appeal to voters that are on the other side of the spectrum. And so on that front, I mean, he's done a, he's done a good job. Like he, he's, he's been appealing to them very seriously. Um, so that's, that's really all I can say on it because I don't know too, <laughs> I don't have too much experience with folks on that side. All right, well, all right, let's, yeah. let's, let's uh, talk a little bit briefly about the, uh, the debates. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first one and the second one, what do you think happened in between the first debacle, not really debate, and the second debate. And so either one of those, speak All on right. either of those. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. After that first one where he made such a mess, yeah. he came out and said uh, he had the, the virus and literally was off the board for about two weeks. Yep. You know, so I think if he had stayed active after that first debate, uh, we would have probably seen a landslide. We would have seen a 55-45 a kind of vote right now. Mm -hmm. They took him off the board. Yep. They said, no, he has the virus, he and his wife, and we have to take them to the hospital. And, and this, <laughs> this guy did not have enough sense to let that full two weeks go. And he yep. came back, he wanted to pull off his shirt and have his Superman uh, costume underneath it and all this stuff. Uh, but he was able to galvanize his people in those last 10 days. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you saw him running buses off the road there right out of Austin, uh, out here in Olympia, Washington. They're running up and down the highways with these pickup trucks with these flags with Trump on them and all that kind of stuff out here in Puget Sound. They have these boat flotillas with uh, Donald Trump on them. So he, they took him off the board though for a minute to say, wait a minute, before uh, this uh, next debate, yeah, you know, you better get yourself together because you blew it in the first one. Anybody else? And there, and there's actually, I mean, there's a real question as to whether he actually had the virus or not. Uh, oh, he didn't have no it. Question. No, he didn't have it. <laughs> ain't no way. Ain't no way. <laughs> Well, you know, I was trying. I was trying to be professional. Uh, you're, 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 talk, you're talking about a professional at changing the subject. <laughs> that happened. I said it, that was classic Trump of changing the subject. Yeah. Yeah, amen. But, amen. But here's yeah. But here, here is um, the, the 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 debate. 
you know, the debates were interesting only from this perspective. Uh, had I been, uh, you know, I've done a lot of campaigns with different candidates. Had I been Biden's uh, campaign manager after that first debate, I wouldn't let him do the second debate. No. I would not, let, I would not have well, let Biden do the second debate. I mean, Tr Trump gave him everything he needed after the first debate. And yeah, he would have got savaged by the press a little bit. And yeah, you know, all that. Kind of, but but that would have been gone in a week. Uh, and I, 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 think, I think you're right. I, I think he could have simply played it as, look, that was ridiculous. I'm not going to put the American people through that. Yeah. Played that, played like that. He, he would have gotten savaged, I agree. But but I, I, I'm with you, Eddie. I, I, I think... I think he did Trump a favor by having that second debate. I, I agree. I mean, the point is his, uh, his first debate performance uh, made us understand his fitness or his unfitness, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, uh, he did everything that he shouldn't do. He tried to act as a bully. He talked over not only uh, the other candidate, but he talked over, uh, he talked over the, moderator. the moderator as well. I thought the second moderator did a fabulous job and probably should be the next uh, anchor of Meet the Press. But, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I think that uh, he damaged himself significantly in that first debate uh, because he was unreasonable, he was a bully, and it was in full uh, form for everyone to see. It, it was also, um, you know, it was also clear that he had not followed the debate rules. His family didn't follow the debate rules and they were running in there like they owned everything. I think to the average voter, just understanding uh, that he wants to walk over everybody, that he only helps his friends yeah. and his family can do whatever the devil they want to do, even in a public space, uh, was a chilling indictment of his candidacy. And I probably wouldn't have given him a second opportunity yeah. either because he couldn't possibly have looked worse than he did the first time. Right, right. Hey, this next question, I want to get, I want to get everybody's take on this next question on the black vote uh, and specifically the, the last ditch efforts uh, to call in all the rap artists in, you know, the last 30 years and tried to sweep the black vote. So I'll start with you, John Love. What did you think about Trump's meetings with everybody from Wheezy to you know, Ice Cube to whomever else? What were your thoughts on that move? I thought it was a desperate attempt. Um, you know, black, uh, Trump sees black people in a, in a narrow view. You can mm -hmm. tell that by what he says, you know, he's done more for blacks than anybody except Abe Lincoln. Um, and when he talks about blacks, he immediately goes to um, the um, uh, the criminal re uh, justice reform. Like mm -hmm. that's the major issue for black people, right? I mean, yep. it is important for that we stay out of jail, but we have other obviously <laughs> issues. Everybody here knows that. Um, but I, I I thought that that just was uh, uh, just just bad on his part. But, but if I can, I know you're in the middle of the question. I want to just go right back to uh, about the last question um, about the debate and his, his, his gibberish. I'm, I live here in Midland, Texas. What you got to understand is that his base understood what he did perfectly. They agreed with it. They supported it. The problem is, is that he wasn't getting any new traction with that tactic. So any independence uh, that he might have tried to pull to his side, That's right. uh, he chance chance to do so um and with all the gibberish that he was spitting out and so jeff i agree with you that that 
second debate gave Trump an opportunity to speak to those independents and try to try to attempt to get his message out. So sorry about that. All right. No, all good. Yeah, um, Chloe. If I could weigh in, if I could weigh in almost on on the rapper. So so uh, I <laughs> I have a. Uh, uh, a 21 year old son and we talk about this stuff we've talked about this stuff uh quite uh quite a bit so so uh you know i i i have always been or for since he came i've been an ice cube fan for years and years and years uh ice cube let himself be totally used um you know, uh, and, you know, 30 minutes after he left his, whatever his meeting was, you know, you had Candace Owen tweeting and, and the other folks tweeting, you know, that, that, that they working with Ice Cube on this plan or whatever. Now, you know, get, uh, you know, Lil Wayne and, and, and 50 Cent and those guys, they're, they're just, as far as I'm concerned, right, they're more, those guys are morally bankrupt, but don't sleep. That kind of stuff does has an impact, does have an impact. So, some of the some of the polling you've seen and some of the research you've seen already is that particularly in some of those battleground states, something like 14 to 15 percent of African-American males younger than the age of 30 mm -hmm. went with Trump. Th that that yeah. that's something we, that's something we need to think about. That That's something we need to think about and and yeah. and, and, and really understand uh, because they weren't voting for Trump based on policy or issues. It, it, it was it's his demeanor, it's the culture, and and they and they saw no reason uh, hey, to vote, Eddie, vote for Biden. Eddie, I think I know the reason why um, that young Hispanics and 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 young blacks voted that way. Um, it's because of economics, and they can't hear or see anything else. Up, John, you froze on us for a minute, man. Yeah, you froze for Sorry a minute, John. I'm in. You guys hear me? Sorry yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I think it was basically economics, and and you know Trump has been glorified in rap music as you know Mr. Rich, the guy that you want to be. There's a song actually called Black Trump, uh, which is an interesting song. I think everybody should go out there and listen to that. Um, but I think that I, I had a guy call me this morning, um, a friend of mine, telling me he was upset about the turnout because he had. Uh, three jobs canceled, three contracts canceled out here in the oil industry because they're afraid of Joe Biden and, and fracking. So I guess my point is, is, is that um, I, I think that unfortunately young blacks and young Hispanics are one issue voters and that's their pockets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but, but look, the vast, the, vast the vast majority of them voted, voted for Biden, but, but, but a significant minority did not. Uh, and and I, I understand. I take your point. I take your I take your point, John. But I, I guess I I I think I think it's something a little different than that. And here's why I say that: about 30 years ago in Austin, Texas, uh, uh, I spoke to a midnight basketball group group of brothers over over at uh, over at over at Rosewood yeah. Rosewood Park, uh -huh. um, and it was very interesting because they were their whole thing. It was about 40 of them. And everything was like, you know, politics doesn't matter. Why should we vote? It don't make no difference. And I broke it down to him. I said, okay, guys, let me take you over to West Austin and show you the rec center over there. Yeah. Okay. And we went and the rec center over there. <laughs> and then we looked and I said, let, let, let's go back, let's go back over here to Rosewood's there, go. Let's look at the rec yeah. center over yeah. here. Yeah. I said, the reason that that I said that difference is politics. Yes. I don't think we as a community have done a sufficient enough job of making our community understand. I tell you, I just I spoke about this to a group not too long ago. Economics 
is the science of allocating scarce resources. Politics is the science of managing economics. <laughs> People don't understand that, that, that the, the whole point of politics is to manage economics. Every, every economic every political decision ultimately is an economic decision. And we, I don't think we've done a good enough job of explaining that to our, to our young people. So you, I'll, I'll go to the previous. Let me get Chloe in here real quickly. Chloe, I wanted to get your thoughts on the rap situation, the rap artist consulting with uh, Donald Trump on the black vote. I think I would just echo what some people have said that it was very intentional. And although it was desperate on Trump's part, ultimately, I believe that these rappers decided that them being in the forefront, them being in a position of what would be power or um, as a leader was more important for them than to say, okay, sure, yes, we need to have these conversations about um, accurate and equitable funding for black communities. Um, but having that conversation with someone who literally has no care about that, who has yeah. shown that in his policies, and his actions and everything like that does nothing, especially in a time like this. And so also to me, which which adding to your conversation, Eddie, I mean, your point about um, economics, there's um, those are specific types of, of, of black people. Like um, I'm young, I'm also, I'm 23. And so like, I am not in a class, I'm not in the same class as those people. You know, so I, I, I would never be in a position to say that my, my wealth or um, the money I make is more important than um, my race. That's not something that I would even think about. That's, that's the decision 50 Cent made. That's the decision Lil Wayne made. It may be, have been the decision Ice Cube made. I haven't actually heard that from him, but the other two definitely made those statements. So to me, it's, it's an intersected conversation that requires us to like really think about economics, think about um, policy, because that that hasn't been the forefront of any of these conversations. Policy wasn't the forefront of the debates, unfortunately. People were people have been and will continue to choose candidates based upon oh um, conviction, uh, the way that they speak, um, whether they are a powerful speaker or not. Um, instead of really thinking about the policies that people have. Um, and so for me, that, that, that's something that I, I really try to impress upon people that like, we really need to start thinking about the policies that these people put in place or the policies that they say yes to, um, the policies that they veto, um, the things that they put their name to is what is important to me, but that is not, under my understanding of what I see from people my age, but even people in my in my parents' um, generation, that we really do not dissect policy in the way that we should when we think about who we are voting for. Definitely um, across the board. That's yeah, great, great points. I got to move. I got to move the conversation along, guys. Um, a, a lot of couple of things I want to talk to you guys about. And one of those was the importance of the black woman's vote. Um, what happened for Joe Biden when he selected Kamala Harris? And I'm going to go to the guys who haven't, who haven't talked, who did talk right. in the last Let, Let me go. Yeah. I had a young woman, 42 years old, who uh, said that she hated Trump, but she hated uh, Kamala Harris more because mm -hmm. she felt that in her role as a DA or whatever her role was, uh, she 
she unjustly uh, sentenced black men to too harsh of uh, sentences. And I said, well, do you know her? Now, what it turns out is this sister has a son who's incarcerated right now. But I said, well, go vote. If you don't vote, you already voted. Go vote. It doesn't matter who you vote for, just go vote. Because when our ancestors voted, they weren't voting for you, they were voting for themselves. Cause see, they were under pressure too. So you go vote now for yourself because if you don't vote, you can't complain at all. And you have three boys, you need to be able to say to them, I voted. Now it didn't come out the way I wanted to. But I think that the black woman vote had to kind of ease itself around. You had folks still caught up in this, in the sororities. I mean, well, she's an AKA, I'm not gonna vote for her. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. She it's sent her brothers to prison unjustly. Well, she was doing her job. She had to do her job or she wouldn't have her job. So uh, I think we had to get past some stuff before we finally said, the black woman finally said, okay, I can support her because I'm gonna tell you right now, to everybody on this phone, I mean, on this call right now, uh, Kamala Harris is gonna be gonna be your next president, and I'm gonna say within two years. So I'm just gonna let you know that right now. All right. Damn. Okay. Scoop. You, you got you, something you for it? <laughs> 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 Dang, Jeffrey, what were you gonna say? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, I think the I think the brilliant thing uh, that Biden did uh, was not only did he understand the significance of the African-American vote in this election, but he spoke to institutions within the African-American community. Uh, you not only got an HBCU graduate, uh, you got somebody who was a leading lawyer, uh, you got somebody who was a member of the Divine Nine. You can pick an AKA, but when you pick an AKA, Delta, Zetas, and everybody else is coming out as well. This is an institution. And, uh, and I think it also speaks to the church as well, because mm -hmm. you're talking about somebody who's intimately involved in community, who's uh, you when you look when you look at who has won, who has led movements and whatnot, uh, you know, you, you think of you think of Rosa Parks, another of her sorority sisters, you look at uh, you look at uh, at, uh, at um, Mrs. King another sorority system, when you speak to institutions like HBCUs, like the Divine Nine, like the church, you create the greatest opportunity for people to participate. And anybody who has gone to a Baptist church knows that the preacher might be good, but if the sisters ain't at the church, it ain't opening up. On time. <laughs> I wish I had a praying church. <laughs> Anybody else want to talk about the impact? The thing that really struck me was, I mean, obviously it was no surprise that Trump went to rappers. You know, it was no, no but the thing that surprised me was that he wasn't smart enough to think about the importance of the black woman vote. Yes. Um, because yeah. we were really turned off by that move. When, when I saw that, I was like, oh, <laughs> you, you, you straight up dissing me now. You going uh, with friend, with friend. not a black woman in the house that can come up to the 1600 Pennsylvania and tell you how to do this? Okay. Friend. No, 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 friend, you missed it. You missed it. It's not that he didn't understand. So he understood. Throughout, throughout, Trump's, throughout Trump's entire history, going back to 
Trump's always been intimidated by black women. Yeah. I mean, so think so think about how much he savaged President Obama. Think about how much he he yeah. called he called he called, he called uh, Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. Now, as, yep. as as bad as Michelle Obama read him, have you ever heard him attack <laughs> Michelle Obama? <laughs> no, he ain't trying to go there. No, no sir. That's <laughs> not. Uh, I guess he after he and Almarosa fell out. I guess that was the end of that. But but I I do want to. That part is really important. We all know that um, the strength of the black woman to every institution in on the planet. So when you diss us politically you are sinning in a very big way. Um, and we're seeing the impact of Kamala Harris's presence, whether people want to you know, dissect the percentage of blackness as we tend to do when people bring up whether somebody's black or not, you cannot dismiss the fact that she awakened something in black women and women of color and other women who said, okay, we're paying attention to you, Joe Biden. So um, that was that was stimulating to see that in the race, and also a, a terrible play by by the other side. So as we kind of move on, somebody gonna say something? Is somebody jumping in? Okay. Um, as we kind of move on to the um, to the hot buttons of of this race, what do you think some missed opportunities were in the hot button areas? You know, I heard some before the show people were talking about the cultural aspect of the Cubans and pro-life and those kinds of things. What do y'all think some of the hot buttons were and missed opportunities were? Yeah, so I'll jump in there. So I, I think there were a number of missed opportunities. I, the example I was I was using is, you know, the whole story of Florida is the story of Miami-Dade County. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Hillary Clinton won Miami-Dade County by more than 30,000 votes. She won Florida by less than 1%, by 0.7%, but she won, and, and almost all of that was Miami-Dade County. Uh, Trump, as, as of an hour ago, was only leading in Miami-Dade County by about seven, seven and a half percent. That's why, that's why he didn't win Florida. Hasn't won it yet, anyway. Uh, that, and, and what that, and what that comes down to, I was like, so between what Bloomberg spent uh, in Florida, between what, what other independent expenditures spent, I'm a numbers guy, so I look at the numbers, and then, and then based on what the party spent, the, all those those groups together spent more than twelve million dollars just going after the Cuban vote in Miami-Dade County, completely ignored Liberty City and Overtown, the African-American areas of Dade County, spent less than a million dollars, spent less than half a million dollars uh, on the ground uh, in, in the black community in Miami-Dade Miami County. Blacks and Puerto Ricans in Miami-Dade County would have far outstripped, far outstripped uh, what they tried to do with Cubans uh, in, in Miami-Dade County. And this has been, unfortunately, the story of the Democratic Party for decades. They want our votes at election time, but they're not willing to invest the time, effort, and, 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 and structure on the ground to make that a permanent structure to turn, out, to turn out that vote. I'll make one more point like that. So back in 2016, Alcee Hastings, Congressman from Miami, run, runs the Liberty City and Miami-Dade boxes. Uh, Alcee Hastings, uh, the day early voting started back in 2016, picked up the phone and called uh, and called Mookie, whatever his name, Robbie Mook, who was the camp, who was who was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. He said, "Listen, we're going to lose Miami-Dade County unless you got. I, I need you guys to send let President Obama come down here for a couple of days or Michelle and send me about two hundred fifty thousand dollars, or we're going to lose Miami-Dade County." They told him the man who's run those black boxes, been in the Congress for twenty years. We got it. We got it, Congressman. He told him, you know what? 
don't you blankety bank blanks ever call me and ask me for nothing again <laughs> and hung up on you know uh eddie I, I i would say the same thing about texas too and the fact that i really think uh joe biden missed an opportunity with mexican americans you know mexicans and cubans are different um and uh, you you have a lot of uh uh latin well um it was told to him that he needed to do, to win South Texas, and he did really, really good in South yep. Texas, the Laredo area. But I think if he would have spent more money and more time, he could have won the state of Texas as close as it was, and with uh, the the uh, smear that the Republicans were throwing about fracking. Listen, out here in West Texas, everybody is well, not everybody, but. Uh, the conservatives are afraid that fracking is going to go away and then they, we're going to be out of business next week. I think he would have spent the time here uh, with Mexican-Americans. He would have gotten a lot more um, than what he did. And I really believe he could have won the state because we were all hoping that, that, that Texas was going to flip uh, last night. And I think that really would have helped flip uh, the House state. I agree with you. I, I think that, though, there is a need to understand uh, the whole continuum of the Latinx community. Uh, people look at the Latinx community as one thing, and it is not. Uh, right. it, it is not only Mexico. It's Nicaragua. It's not only uh, Nicaragua. It's Venezuela. It's not only Venezuela. It's Cuba. It's not, and, and people have different, uh, have, have different economic backgrounds, different expectations. Uh, the people that left Cuba or were pushed out of Cuba were, were the wealthy class. So right. if, if when they came over here, anything less than, than uh, deposing uh, who they called a dictator was not acceptable to them. And if you're not talking about going over and wiping the leadership of Cuba out and, and reinstalling them, you're not winning their vote. Uh, different, and that's about money too, Jeff. Of course, of course. But you know, then, then the question becomes, you know, um, how do you make it possible to make sure that our tremendous economic wealth builds a supply chain first back in America, but then in the Southern Hemisphere? Uh, why is it that, that we're not talking about the economies that are around us and making sure that ultimately uh, we are we're building economic opportunity and safety in this region? Because a lot of people who are coming up here from Nicaragua and are coming up here from Venezuela uh, have a similar story to ours with the out migration from the south going to the north, moving from the field to the factory. Uh, because you had certainty in the factory, you were going to get paid your wage in a factory. You weren't, you know. You could. I grew up in Mississippi, and if they said uh, you, they, they owed you five dollars, and you said no, it's supposed to be ten. Uh, you might not have a job, and you might not have your life, and and that's what people fled. So you know, I mean, we need to understand the economic underpinning underpinnings of the people that we're talking about, and we need to talk about how we create real opportunity and sustainability here over time. Well, I think we also need to understand something. Now, being in the Pacific Northwest, something became very obvious to me. There are a lot of Hawaiians, there are a lot of Asians, and there are a lot of Filipinos in the Pacific Northwest. Do you guys realize that in most states in this country until 1976, there was no option for 
Hispanic. There was no option for Asian American. If you were not black or white, you were white. You understand that? So if you're Asian, you're from Hawaii, you're from the Philippines, you were white. So up here, I'm noticing this whole group of young people whose parents are Hawaiian or Filipino, and they don't know that they are not white because they've been told all their lives they are white. In the state of Texas until 1976, there was no Hispanic on a birth certificate. So in San Antonio, people in San Antonio discouraged their people. Hispanics, the Latinx, discouraged their children from speaking Spanish. So somebody comes in from El Paso and walk into somebody at a HEB and start speaking Spanish, they get cussed out. Don't be speaking no Spanish to me, you know? So we have to understand how these people identify. And they're not identifying as Latinx or Filipino or Hawaiian. They're identifying as white. And so when you start talking about the things we're talking about, they don't understand how we can't pull ourselves up from our bootstraps because they're not having any problems getting jobs. They're not having any problems assimilating in the white community. They can't figure out why we're having problems. Well, we have problems with 1638 with the uh, the Maryland exclusion codes, which said that uh, uh, neither the existing black population, their descendants, or any other black shall be permitted to enjoy the fruits of white society. That's what we're dealing with in 2020, because every law since then has been in that same vein to make sure the black man does not enjoy the fruit of white society. So. We just have to understand how they identify. Codified and dreaded side in 1857. Never been overturned. No. So, so uh, you asked missed, op missed opportunities. I'm going to be very, very tactical. Uh, Who's this? This is Keith. This is Keith, sorry, Keith Kinnever. Huh? Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be very, very tactical. Th those, missed, those missed opportunities, as I see them, or, or, or one, going on the offensive when you were put up in, uh, in the defensive. And Trump was very good at that. And the missed opportunity for Biden was, was to go on the offense because Trump was very vulnerable in that. One, the corruption aspect. They tried, they tried to create this, they tried to sling mud about Trump, about uh, Biden's sign. Had I been, uh, and Biden tried to ignore that. I think there was an opportunity to, and I'm going to be honest with you, just smear Trump's whole family. And I think they should have done that. And it wasn't very hard to do. Bring all the bring all the light. And I'm talking, and I'm talking fighting dirty. And I think they didn't fight dirty on exposing Trump's family and, and his corruption. Two, uh, this whole mirage about socialism. You have people in Texas that talk, oh, I think we're gonna become socialists. I think Biden's a socialist. Well, if you accepted that government check uh, and assistance because of unemployment or because of pandemic, you are in favor of socialism. And I'm not gonna let you get away from that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this this country uh, it is a socialist country and you support programs that are, that are social. I'm not talking socialists in the classic Marxist and, and, and Soviets. I'm talking in, in the sense that we, we've, we've mitigated the hard edges of capitalism uh, with, with some socialist ideas. And so you got to bring people right back to the fact that 
when when they like their football here in Texas and we want to and we want to uh, uh, give tax breaks for a football stadium, that's social. Yes. Okay. And so I, I think they should have run hard at, at, at and the way you got to do it is in a sophisticated way. Run at the socialist elements of Trump's ideas, small as they may be. And then the last thing I'm talking very practical is from the, the fracking piece. Uh, uh, now Biden was vulnerable on that because of some things that he said. But at the, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm in an industry that, uh, quite frankly, had not fracking been as successful as it is, the, the chemical infrastructure in Texas would have gone away. It was about to go away in, in, in 2007 uh, when the fracking boom exploded and Dow itself spent $15 million on the Gulf, $15 bi uh, billion on the Gulf Coast when they were thinking about spending it in the, in the Far East. Yeah, so, so Keith, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I think. Got into that. They should have gone to that from a, from a, from a, from a very practical standpoint. He should, he should have backed away from saying I'm against fracking and went full, full, full fledged, calling out the American industries that have benefited for him and saying that he supports it. Yeah. So Keith, let me tell you why I think you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, in, 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 in political campaigning, if you're explaining, you're losing. Okay. You're, you're, you have to explain that stuff too much. I mean, you, you, that, this, that, that, this race didn't turn on charges of socialism. I mean, look, this was basic blocking and tackling. So, so the area where Lou Fambles and I are from is mm -hmm. probably about 30% black, mm -hmm. all, all told. In Piney Woods in East Texas. Yeah. The, Democrats have, the Democrats have not organized or motivated blacks in East Texas since 1982. Yeah. There's... Uh, in 1982, Lloyd Benson got over 300,000 black votes out of East Texas. From 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 all the way up to Texarkana, all all Johnny all, Henderson, all, Lufkin. Lufkin. all, all down through Lufkin. <laughs> mm -hmm. And 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 they have and they haven't organized since. No, this is just basic blocking and tackling. Oh, so uh, so you? Uh, I hear you.
Okay, well then I would definitely be talking about healthcare. Um, we're gonna have to sit down and talk about Medicare for all, or um, I mean, healthcare for all, not Medicare for all, healthcare for all, um, and really sit and think about policy that can be written um, that impacts the healthcare systems that we have um, in a way that will get us there and stray away from reformist reforms on healthcare because that's not that the reformist reforms are getting us nowhere. And we would really have to sit down and think about, okay, what populations are being affected by, by certain things and at what rates? Why do why is healthcare and, and import so important to for us to have and not have to pay extreme amount of money for it? I'm currently in physical therapy and even in the pandemic, I'm struggling. So yeah. it's like really thinking about the different situations that people are in. So that would have to come from an educational mindset, but also a policy mindset um, so that we can get something on the books to take care of that front. Good stuff, uh, Eddie. Uh, Mr. President, get serious about putting a long-term political apparatus in place between elections and keeping it energized. That what that is what Trump did with his base. That yep. is what that's what Republicans do. That's what we did not do. My biggest single problem with President Obama. I love President Obama, but at, after he won, Obama for America went dormant. He didn't turn that into an ongoing, long-term political organization that put, kept the structure in place. All right, Jeff. Good. I agree with all of the things that have been said. So I'll go to the next item, which is putting an infrastructure package in front of the country. I think mm -hmm. that we have too many bridges, too many roads, too many railroads that have fallen into disrepair. I think that it creates the types of jobs that are blue collar middle class jobs that pay well. It will give you an opportunity to through certification, not necessarily with a, a degree, uh, began work that will uh, provide you a living wage. We had, uh, we, we earmarked $100,000 to train people who were in jail, get them their CDLs before they got, uh, before they got out of jail. We had 14 people who went through that program. We paid for 24, so we'll get a few more. Each one came out with a job no less than $25 an hour which is enough to provide a living wage to live in the city of Austin. I think it's important for us to work on the blue collar jobs. When we brought in Tesla, they're bringing in 5,000 jobs, but 3,000 of them will be semi-skilled jobs, uh, mm -hmm. which, will, which will be available for people without a college degree and which will, which will move them solidly into the middle class and create careers. We don't have a lot of problems that can't be solved by, uh, by building wealth and building communities. Good one. John Love. I uh, like everything that everybody said, just a little different take with respect to the police. Um, I'd just be happy if you get rid of qualified immunity. You know, you have the ability to sue cops for what they were doing. Cops would think of a, a different if it was going to come out of their own personal pocketbooks. Um, so that's one thing I would talk. I'd also uh, ask the president to encourage um, or create programs that encourage entrepreneurship in the Black community. You know, sitting in, uh, in, uh, on the city council, 
of uh, one of the most conservative cities in the United States, Midland, Texas, it came to a point where I was tired of waiting on white hearts to change for me to get equality. Yep. And um, so uh, entrepreneurship, and that includes uh, financial education in school, because we do not have that at all. Um, and that's just a, a real big problem in the African-American community, as well as the United States of America. Great, great stuff. We got a couple of questions here. Should we dismantle the ele electoral college altogether? Obviously, everybody won't get to answer. So if you if you feeling it, go in, go in on it. But that's a that's a great question. Who wants to take that? Yes, it was designed to uh, to give uh, the southern uh, population an outsized vote. It was it was designed to uh, to uh, it was d designed with an exclusive purpose to exclude uh, the, the our ability to participate in the process to make sure that our voices wouldn't be heard and and I think that it is time for it to go. Great question, Terry Allen. Thank you for that. Someone else asked. Let's see who is this. This is Sanja. I think it's Baker. Uh, what should Biden do to adjust uh, in the Supreme Court process? What should he do? in that process to make some adjustments. Anybody? Well, it doesn't look like the, it doesn't look like the Democrats are going to take a majority in the Supreme, in the, in the Senate. So I'm, I'm not sure he's going to, I'm not sure he's going to matter. Yeah, Steven, I don't, I don't think it's going to matter either. The I'm Senate. sorry, that was my first question. How do you okay. think Biden's going to handle the uh -huh. Senate? Okay. And All then right, my so second question was what kind of adjustments if any, should he, can he even make with the Supreme Court? But my first question is, how do you think he's gonna handle the Senate being the president? Yeah, he, he has a lot of experience in the Senate, but without a majority, and that Senate is the one that appoints those judges. Now we've been talking about the, the, these nine on the Supreme Court, but there are 800 more federal judges and they are the ones who determine what the law is. So, you know, the, the Congress can pass the law, but it's, that, it's those judges who make the decision on how to interpret those laws. So without that Senate, he's gonna be, he's gonna be in a bad shape trying to get either 11 or 13 or 15 justices, or even in a, he can appoint, but they still have to uh, uh, okay those uh, appointments that he makes. So he's, yeah. gonna be, he's gonna be in trouble. We have to remember, though, if you've got Biden, you've got a different set, a different class of folks yeah. being appointed. Yeah, now, the true. question is, question has got to be uh, whether the Senate wants anybody or not. You have to yeah. fill the positions. Yeah, there you go. If, if you don't take the folks I send you, well, we, we'll just see how it works then. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, he has the upper hand as it relates to who goes in front of the Senate. They can choose not to confirm them. But uh, if, if, you, if you don't allow the judiciary to grow, it will create a number of problems downstream that, that you can't manage. Well, he right. go. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. As, we, as we move closer to the benediction, uh, predictions, <laughs> as I move toward my close, uh, to the predictions, um, and, and one last word for, for our community, you know, re recognizing that there are Republicans and Democrats and, and liberal libertarians and, all, and independents and, and all kinds of things. Final thoughts on the election and uh, a word for our community, those who are listening now and those who will listen in replay. So I'll jump in there because I wrote this down before this. I have, I, my, to me, it's a five P point, five P's. Number one, black <laughs> folks. 
Politics matters. Number two, policy matters. Uh, number three, preparation matters. Number four, number four, project management and elections matter. And number five, if we don't know nothing else, prayer matters. <laughs> All right, look at your neighbor right now. Okay, I'm, I'm playing. Okay, I'm playing. Uh, look at your neighbor right now. Jeff, what you got? Well, I, I think that we have to recognize that if we're going to get the things that we believe in into the public discourse, we've got to be willing to take it there ourselves. We no longer have the luxury of allowing somebody else to work for us. We talked about the rappers earlier. You know, it, it's important to recognize that we need to be sending people into office that are not trying to get a better seat at the table, but are trying to get a better position for their community. Uh, you know, who you send to represent you really does matter. And yeah. those of our elected officials have to reach out to the community to say, what is it that you need? We put the teams together and we work on that through our office holders. That's what we send them there for. Chloe? Um, I would say that we have to start thinking about the conversations that we are gonna have at home but also the conversations that we're going to have um, communities because we have to think about what is most important. And I don't think that we are on the same page. Um, and the way I see it is that I always think about what does liberation look like for me? What does that look like for my family? What does that look like um, for people that will come after me? And that, is different from thinking about what Jeffrey mentioned of, am I going to be in the limelight? Am I going to be the leader? Am I going to be the person that people always come to look at? Am I going to be the face of black representation? Coming from that standpoint is much different than thinking about what is going to lead our people forward versus just thinking, well, what is going to look good for me right now? Or what's gonna even look good for, me and my individual family right now rather than the community at large. And so that is what I would impress upon people to think about. And then like Eddie said, think about how, think about policy and how that's written um, because wording matters, language is extremely important in policy. Um, and so we really have to think about and push back on policies that have language that does not push us forward because saying yes to something because the majority of the policy is okay, or even 50% um, of the policy okay, but the other 50% has a lot of language that is really detrimental, that would be to us and then other person of color communities. I mean, I just think that we have to think about that a lot more um, and be intentional, like Jeffy said, not back down. Because um, we, although we are in a minority at you know our population, we still can do a lot um, if we are on the same page. Great, John Love. Um, <clears throat> with respect to the black community, I think that, that we going forward should invest in our communities, invest in our youth and invest in ourselves. Not necessarily money, but time infor and information. You know, earlier Eddie and I were talking about, you know, economics and, and, and politics. Uh, but that guy who's broke on the corner is not going to hear anything you say about policy or politics because he's too worried about how he's going to eat or feed his daughter. 
And uh, the other thing I, I, I wanted to just uh, share is, is um, I, I, I used to have an argument with a, a good friend of mine, I think most of you guys know, uh, Rudy Malvo. And Rudy's a government major. And um, he's always, we had this argument about what's more important, good government or good people. And he was always on the impression that good government is what's going to help us. And I always just disagreed. I think it's gonna be good people because we see now we've got a great government. We got some horrible people running it. And hopefully, and I, I do believe that Joe Biden is not a horrible person and he will make a difference. And that goes from the president already, all the way down to your mayor, alderman, city council member. Um, if you've got terrible, and this, you know, is, is it just dovetailing off what Jeff and what Chloe said is, 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 is that it's important that you have people in positions who are going to be able to do the right thing. And right now, the path that our community is taking is materialistic and selfishness. And that's why I bring it back to we need to invest in our youth our community and in ourselves and arm ourselves with the information and the economics that we need to move forward. Great. Uh, last but not least, Lou Fambles. Well, I think going forward, we need to make a concerted effort to increase our business ownership and the support that we give to those black business owners. We need to speak up for black equality and black rights as opposed to civil rights. We don't hear anybody else saying, you know, gay rights don't talk about civil rights, they talk about gay rights. We need to talk about black rights. And then John has touched on this twice, but I think that financial literacy and digital literacy within our young people is going to be the key to going forward. We don't invest our money, we spend our money on meaningless things. And even if you just put $50 a month into a mutual fund, at least you're putting money into something that you can get something back on. Yeah. And I wanted to go into business ownership, black business ownership, but if you can't invest and start your own, own uh, business, invest in somebody who already has. So those are the areas I think we're gonna to have to push very hard in. And over the next four years, when we come to this point, we should be having a whole different conversation. Amen. Amen. Well, family, thank you so much. This was illuminating. It was stimulating. It was uh, amazing conversation and discourse. I appreciate all of you hopping on tonight. For those of you who are out there who, who hung with us, uh, thank you for your encouragement and your discourse in the chat. Uh, I also want to say that you are you're welcome to shoot us any thoughts on other kinds of conversations that you want to have. I mean, we've been having some great ones for the last month, but if there are topics that you believe are important and critical to our elevation as a people, definitely drop us a, a note on Facebook and we will assemble the brains and the geniuses in the room and, and have that conversation. Um, Eddie, Jeffrey, Chloe, Lou, and John, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. You were fantastic. Um, here's to a favorable outcome to the election and everybody who is watching and in replay and live, hook them, hook them everybody. Thank hey, you, friend. Thank you. Host Thank you, friend. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks y'all. <laughs>